songs for attention and not just honorable mention. It's Rhyme and Reason 502. There's a rhyme and reason for your life. There's a rhyme and reason. Hey there, Tony here, and I hope you're in the mood for a story because I have a story. And I have a question. Who writes songs for attention? Who does that? Okay, the short answer is me. All right? But before I go any further, let me explain how I don't mean songs just for attention. I'm talking about songs with an ulterior motive. (laughs) And in my case, that motive included breaking down a woman's resistance. No, no, not the way you're thinking. Get your mind out of there right now, okay? Golly, people. I wrote songs for attention back when this story happened because they were my secret weapon, you know? And if you've watched any of the superhero movies, you know that when you're going to do, when you've got a mission, you need a secret weapon, okay? And I had a mission. Way back in 1985, I met a beautiful girl. I know, I know, nobody ever does that, right? But I did. And right then, a bolt of lightning struck my amygdala, I've mentioned that before, and my cerebellum, it struck those like never before. Some might call it love at first sight, but that's okay, but it wasn't that sugar-coated, namby-pamby, silly, love-struck moment you see in those dorky movies. It's far from that. In fact, I didn't even attempt to pursue her at that time. Ha Yeah, it didn't go where you thought it was right there, did it? And that was because, as it turned out, she was married, and I already had a girlfriend. So, you know, we were both spoken for, so to speak. But this um, striking woman also lived and worked in an establishment in Florida where my band and I were booked for a month. I had a four-piece band back then. And we were booked in this place for a month, and we were all looking forward to, you know, spending some time on the beaches and, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yes, I do go to the beach. I know I mentioned in a recent episode that that's not my favorite vacation, and it's still not my favorite, but I can appreciate them. Anyway, back to the story. Um, We were booked there for a month, and, um, you know, the point that I'm bringing up there is that I wasn't from there, and she was, so... You know, any thoughts of a relationship were doomed from the start when you take out all of these things that were against us right there. But then, uh, almost a year later, in April of 1986, I was booked back in that same establishment, but this time as a solo entertainer, and I was booked as the house act for the top floor uh, snazzy jazzy club overlooking the bay. And it was just awesome up there. I mean, this was a really cool place to play. It was, it was one of my favorites I ever played. Not the biggest and not the most people, but one of the coolest. I had a room, actually the headboard of the bed where I stayed in my room was back-to-back on the wall where I stood and played in the club uh, next door. So that's how close that was. My walk to work literally was, you know, like about 20 feet. Okay, let me get back to the story. Um, I was booked there as a house act, like I said, so that meant that I was going to be there for a while. And on my very first night when I got there, there she was. There was that beautiful girl again. She was working in that top 
floor club full-time. That's where she worked. When I first met her, she worked in a club that was at the bottom floor at the entry uh, area of the same place. And now she was up on the 15th floor working there full-time. And we lived happily ever after. No, no, no. (laughs) There's more, okay? The dream girl was still married to another guy, but at least I could see her, and I could talk with her on my breaks. And one other development had happened. I no longer had a girlfriend. And as my time there continued, the cool, beautiful dream girl, I'll just keep calling her that, um, we got to know each other a little better, and that's how I discovered what an amazing woman she, she truly was because I could see she was doing her part to be true blue to a husband who was anything but true blue. And again, that's a story all its own. I'm not going to go there because I actually met the guy and knew, knew who he was, knew what he did, and uh, it was weird. Anyway, as it turned out, I decided to go another way in my musical career, and I ended my, as they call them, house gig after only three months there. I played there for three months, and that's when I decided to go on the road full-time with my brother, and we did that for a couple years, and so I left the dream girl behind. But every once in a while, I'd just send her a card or a note from the road. It was innocent. We never... We never uh, consummated any kind of uh, relations, as you know, physical relations. We never did that while we were there. We were, um, we, we were good. I'll just put it that way. We didn't do those things. But we did get to like each other. I liked her a lot, and I could tell that I think she liked me. That's what I thought anyway. So anyway, I'd, every once in a while I'd send her a card or a note, and I'd mail it in care of you know, where she worked there because I didn't know her address. And once in a while, I'd be somewhere long enough to get mail in return, so I'd write and ask her to write me, you know, purely as friends. And she only wrote me a few times in the two years that I was on the road with my brother. And in each of those times, it was just a polite letter saying I shouldn't write her anymore. (laughs) Great. Great encouragement, right? Shot down in a blaze of glory. Well, so finally... It was definitely time to throw in the towel and add it up to experience, right? But I didn't have one of my own towels handy, and I didn't want to steal one from the hotel. So I didn't throw in the towel quite yet. I kept sending a card or a note every once in a while. And after a couple years on the road with my brother, I decided I wanted to come in for a landing, and I moved to Lakewood, Colorado, with just my savings and dreams of making my stand in the Rockies. And I sent a few more cards and notes to the dream girl, but quite a bit of time passed with no replies. No replies. She was, the, the trail had gone cold, as they say in the, in the westerns. So I decided it was time to move on and maybe even find another dream girl in Colorado. You know, somebody who was going to be closer, who could actually, I could have, you know, an actual relationship with. But then one day in the spring of 1989, I found an envelope in my mailbox from that dream girl in Florida. And she told me how she had spent the previous months filing for and paying for and getting a divorce from the jerk that she was married to. 
She said uh, there'd basically been no marriage for a couple of years and that she was finally over trying to make it work with a totally unfaithful man. And she said if I was still interested, she'd like me to call. I said, of course, no way, no way, hello. (laughs) No, not really. I said, yeah, I'd like that very much. So I called, and we talked for a long time, and that was when long-distance calls were still awfully expensive, emphasis on awful. So even though we started calling each other more than we could really afford, I decided to get even more serious about letter writing, and that's when she began to get letters in her mailbox literally every day. Every day. Well, except for Sunday, because, you know, they didn't deliver on Sunday. But every other day. And a lot of times, I'd send two, three, and even four letters on the same day. Because I knew this beautiful girl was going to get wooed by guys right there where she lived. Because, you know, she was sizzling. What can I tell you? And I knew I needed some sort of advantage. So... That's when I, you know, started writing a whole lot more letters, and then I started writing and recording and sending her specialized songs. I knew other guys would have location advantage, but I was counting on my songs to get her attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of those ulterior motives of musicians, you know how they are. <laughs> so I wrote her a bunch of songs, including one for her name. And as it turned out, My secret song weapon helped me win the day. Yes, it did. And she asked me to come and visit her. So I did. And then, well, I don't know, I think it was a couple of months later, maybe a month and a half later, she came and visited me in Colorado. And I could say then there was a knot that was tied in both hearts. And I'll tell you that that knot is still strong over 31 years later. Yes, I was talking all along about Elgeline, of course, my beautiful wife. She was the beautiful dream girl, and for 31 years, well, going on 31 years, she's been my beautiful wife. So, there are some lessons in there for you single guys, and uh, I'm not going to really point them out. I think it's up to you to find them and use them. But I will say this, if you're a musician and you decide to woo a woman with letters and songs for attention, make them be about true love and not that sappy certainly not that selfish motive you know sex instead tell her things like this I feel lonely do you think about me I want to be feeling your arms around me I need your touch My heart and your 
Liker style, right? And uh, I'll leave you with that. That's enough. That was a long story, I know. Some people had asked about that recently, so I figured I'd share it again. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for bearing with me on a longer story here. Hope you got uh, some kicks out of it. And remember to go to TonyFunderberg.com where you can get a really cool T-shirt. It's the only place. Not TonyFunderberg.com is the only place. But through me, Tony Funderberg, you can get a T-shirt directly from Amazon, directly delivered to you, that says... Life has rhyme and reason because God made you. There's a rhyme and-